0: Alright, I remembered my Bible this time, so I came, uh, came prepared, uh, but uh, I'm uh, glad to be uh, continuing uh, our uh, study of the household of God, of what the church is called uh, to do and be, uh, and this morning uh, our, our study leads us to the topic of the leadership of the church. Uh, And uh, as we just got done reading through the the book of Numbers in the Old Testament, we saw that uh, in the Old Testament, uh, there were a specific tribe in Israel that was set apart for the task of leadership. They were given the responsibility of caring for uh, the tabernacle and the temple, and they were given the responsibility, uh, the the tribe of Levi, uh, for teaching the law of God to the people of Israel throughout their territory. Uh, And then in addition to that, uh, there was the the descendants of Aaron uh, who were to function as uh, the priests in the land. And the the role of the priest was to to represent uh, the people of Israel before God uh, and kind of doing that through the sacrificial system. And these were hereditary responsibilities in Israel. So they always knew who was supposed to be leading, who was supposed to be teaching. Uh, it was the, the Levites and uh, the descendants of Aaron. But in the in the church, these responsibilities are not passed down in in hereditary uh, manner from from father to son. Uh, and so the the question arises: Who is it that is supposed to lead God's church? Who is supposed to to lead in in teaching? Who is supposed to to lead spiritually the people of God? And, and sometimes, in answer to that question, churches uh, assign leadership to those men in the church who are just uh, the most successful in the outside world. Say, hey, you've been uh, successful in running a business or sitting on a board or uh, you've been successful in, you know, being in the military or coaching a team or a variety of things. Sometimes we look to external things and say well this man can probably lead in the church because of x y and z that's, that's one way of figuring out who should lead the church at other times it's given to those men who have been at a church for a certain amount of time you've kind of been here long enough you should lead Other times it's given to those uh, who have given a certain amount of money to the church. Hey, you, you, you sustain the church at this level, you should be one of the leaders. And sadly, at other times, churches are, are often led by individuals who have kind of climbed their way to the top of the mountain through manipulation uh, or the, the abuse of power. They are the most cunning individuals in the church uh, concerning church bylaws and other things. And so they have worked their way into being a leader in the church. But is that what church leadership should look like? Uh, is that God's template that he lays out for us in Scripture? Are we to maybe select a leader as the Old Testament Israel did, right, w- with with King Saul? Remember the, the two qualifying marks of, of King Saul? He was the tallest and he was the most handsome. Uh, and, and so that, that's not the way that we want to choose leadership in the church. Being tall and being handsome is okay, but that's not what should qualify a man To be a leader in the church. And if you remember back in 1 Samuel, after Saul disqualified himself and and God was going to choose another leader, he chose Samuel. Not Samuel, he chose the prophet Samuel to anoint David. And Samuel goes to the house of Jesse and he works his way through all of Jesse's sons, Uh, and the the oldest and also the, the handsomest. Uh, and the prophet Samuel was like, oh, this is going to be the one. And God says, no, I don't look at the outward appearance. I look at the heart. And what we're going to see in, in selecting leaders for the church, God puts a preeminence upon not their outward appearance, but upon their inner character. What is the life and the conduct of the men in the church and those who are faithful, those who are following Christ, those who are the most mature should be the leaders. And as we're going to, to look at various passages in, in Scripture this morning, uh, we're going to see that God has ordained two offices in His church for leaders, elders and deacons. Kind of summarized in Philippians uh, chapter 1, verse 1, and Paul writing the letter, he says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in christ jesus who are at philippi with the overseers and the deacons and as as we look at these two offices we're we're going to look at at several different passages and we're going to look at uh, what these offices are and if the the men who are qualified for these offices what are they supposed to do And and we're going to look at six roles of elders and deacons that help to clarify their responsibilities before God and the church. Uh, th- this is what; these are the, the men who are supposed to be the leaders in the church, and here is what they are supposed to do. Uh, and if you if you turn with me to First Timothy, chapter three, that's where we will begin, in the, the first of these roles of elders and deacons. And we're going to begin with elders, and most of the what we're going to look at today pertains to them, and then we're going to get to the deacons uh, towards the end. But we can begin by saying that elders are overseers of the church. We see this in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1, and Paul is writing to Timothy, and Timothy is a young man who is pastoring the church at Ephesus. Uh, And Paul is instructing him of this is how you are going to To develop and and pour into other men so that they will also be elders there with you. And here are the qualifications. It begins with this. We're just going to look at the first verse. We'll get to verses 2 through 7 in a bit. But we're just going to look at verse 1. It says, The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Uh, and, And Scripture uses that term overseer. We saw it here. We saw it in Philippians 1. That's going to be synonymous with the term elder, which we're going to see elsewhere in Scripture. And that's going to be synonymous with the term pastor. Okay, all of those are really just multiple names for the same singular office. Uh, And typically... All elders are pastors in a biblical sense. We usually kind of in our uh, American church or uh, I guess here at Ambassador, we use the term pastor and we think of those who are, I guess, on staff at a local church and and shepherding in that way. Uh, And lay elder, we think of those who are not doing this uh, professionally, so to speak, but they have uh, their occupation elsewhere and they are serving the body as elders, but they're all the same office. And that's what we we need to understand, that, uh, that a lay elder elder is also a pastor. Uh, a lay elder is called to shepherd the flock in the same way that a full-time pastor is. There is a singular office uh, and the same responsibility uh, that a lay elder would have as a pastor. Uh, and what uh, we want to focus on here is that Paul says if anyone aspires to this office, it is a good thing. Uh, it, it is a good desire because the church needs leadership if you if you keep your finger here we're going to return back to to 1 Timothy 3 but turn with me over to Acts chapter 14 and we see the in the early church uh, as Paul and and Barnabas set out uh, on missionary on their first missionary journey at the beginning of uh, chapter 13 they go around through Asia Minor and they they establish churches uh, and then in Acts chapter 14, beginning in verse 21, we're going to see what they did on their journey home. Uh, this is the end of their first missionary journey, and this is what they did. Verse 21 in chapter 14, when they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra, and to Iconium, and to Antioch, where they had initially gone, and shared the gospel, and planted churches. And they strengthened the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. And here's the key, verse 23, And when they had appointed elders for them in Every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Now, what's interesting here, in each church, what did they do? They went and they established multiple elders. Now, it's plural there. They didn't say, Hey, we're going back to the church, now we need one man to go and lead the church in each of these cities. That, that's not what they did. They went and established a plurality of elders. That's always the, the biblical ideal. Now, that that is what we uh, want to to see as a a people of God because the burden of shepherding the church is too much for any one individual. It, It is far too great, and a team of leaders is always going to be greater than a single individual doing everything. And if you were to look in the sports world, you were to see this. If you look at championship teams, whether it's in football, basketball, baseball, what usually happens to the assistant coaches on those really good teams? They go in and get head coaching jobs elsewhere because they were successful as a team of coaches. Not just by any one coach being far and above, uh, greater than everything else, and doing all things. And, and it's the same way that you look at any successful president. What does he have around him? He's going to have a cabinet uh, of people who are able to advise him, who are able to, uh, to lead other areas of the federal government and execute uh, what is intended to be uh, happening in each of those areas. We have the Secretary of State, Secretary of Defense, all of those different uh, offices. And and the same thing is intended to be seen in the church, that a plurality of elders is going to, in essence, multiply the ministry of the church, and a plurality of elders is also going to cover uh, the the weaknesses of uh, the pastoral team. Yes, I have weaknesses. I have strengths, and there's things that I'm not good at. Uh, and uh, the God has gifted our church body uh, to be able to, to have to develop a plurality of elders that's going to, the giftings are going to complement one another. Uh, And we're going to have a a plurality of elders with with different types of giftings. And when you pull uh, all of that godly wisdom and all of those different types of spiritual gifts together, they're going to be able to shepherd the flock of God here uh, or at any local church. That is God's vision for leadership in the local church. There should be a plurality of elders. But then the question arises, but who should be an elder? Uh, And short answer is qualified men, uh, that God has intended uh, the, the church uh, to, to acknowledge those men who meet certain qualifications. And we'll get to those uh, back in First Timothy chapter 3. But, but the short answer is the plurality of elders is supposed to consist of qualified men. They meet the biblical qualifications. Uh, and you don't want to just rush any uh, man into leadership. Because First Timothy chapter 5 says this, Paul warns Timothy at the same time, of Hey, you need to establish other elders, he also says this, do not be hasty in the laying on of hands, nor take part in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. And the idea is don't be hasty to rush men into leadership because a couple of verses later he says this, the sins of some people are conspicuous going before them to judgment, but the sins of others appear later. So the idea is that, that there are some whose, uh, when you first uh, meet them, their, their sins become evident and others their sins become evident over time. And he says, Timothy, make sure you get to know the men that you're going to place into leadership. And he's going to give qualifications uh, in 1 Timothy 3 that we're going to look at. But you you look at these men, and if they are, make sure that they are qualified. Uh, you test them and make sure that they meet the, these biblical standards, and then you bring them into leadership. And so qualified men, you don't want unqualified men leading the church. But then also uh, in First Timothy chapter 2, Paul makes it clear that it's, qualified men who were supposed to lead. Now, male leadership uh, is what is seen in Scripture uh, and that becomes really clear in First Timothy chapter 2 verse 12 where Paul says, "I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. he says rather she is to remain quiet again that's in, in the context of the church women are not called to, to hold the office of elder now are there a whole bunch of other things that women are called to do in the church? Absolutely. And everybody is is pro woman in ministry, but the question is, what are what are they called to do? There's a lot of responsibilities that women have in the church and that they should do, but there's a clear prohibition in Scripture that they should not be pastors or elders, and that's what we see. So the plurality of men should be qualified. Uh, qu- plurality of elders should be qualified men in the church. And and so that's what we what we see here in First Timothy. He says, "Whoever aspires to this office, it is a good thing." Uh, and, and so, men, here, here's just a question for you: Do you aspire to this office? Uh, and if you do, that is a good thing, but it's also a serious thing, because what is also said in the New Testament is that those who teach will be held to a greater strictness in judgment. James chapter 3, verse 1. There is a double judgment for those who, who teach. Hebrews thirteen seventeen, which we're going to mention a couple of different times, says that all of the elders in the church will give an account before God for how they shepherded the people in the church. That's, that's a sobering statement. So it is a good thing to aspire to this office, but it's also a very serious thing. It's not something to be taken lightly. But I would encourage you men to aspire to that, to to aspire towards that. And I'm not saying every single one of you has to one day be an elder. It's okay if you don't aspire to the office. You're not a lesser Christian because of that. You can still be faithful and God is calling you to lead your families and, and to pursue Christ wholeheartedly. So it's okay if you don't aspire to this office as well. But you still need to aspire to the qualifications. You still need to pursue spiritual maturity. And and not everyone is called to be an elder. Not everyone is called to be an overseer of the church who will one day give an account. It's a sobering and serious reality of those who are called to be the leaders of the church. The elders are Overseers of the church, and then secondly, elders are called to be under shepherds of Christ. If you turn with me over to First Peter chapter five, we begin to to see and understand a little bit more of this role and these tasks that the that the elders of the church have. First Peter chapter five. If you look with me at verses one through five, Peter says this. So I exhort. What we see here as as Peter writes to other elders, he gives them one overarching command in this passage. And the the one singular command is to do this. He says, shepherd the flock of God among you. Tend to the people as a shepherd tends to his sheep. Now, what do shepherds do with their sheep? They care for them. They, they, They feed them. Uh, they lead them and guide them. They make sure that they're they're watered and kept safe. Uh, and, and that is an apt description of what an elder is called to do. We we are called to shepherd the flock. And if if you notice Peter's description here, he says, "Don't do it this way, but do it this way. Don't shepherd under compulsion, but shepherd the sheep willingly, uh, not for shameful gain." but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. The idea, and then he says, when the chief shepherd, and that's where we get this idea that that elders are called to shepherd the flock, but we do it with a delegated authority. I don't have any authority in and of myself. All I have is the commands of Christ saying, shepherd the flock. The the chief shepherd is Christ. We we looked at that earlier in this series on the church. Jesus Christ is the head of the church. He is the chief shepherd. And as an under-shepherd, the elders are called to care for his people. And if, if the elders get this wrong, they do not faithfully shepherd the people of God. There will be judgment. If you want to see an example of this, turn with me back in your Bible to the, the book of Ezekiel. Ezekiel chapter 34. And as, as we saw earlier, the, the Levites were called by God to be the shepherds of Israel. They, they were called to be the, those who, who teach God's people. And the descendants of Aaron were called to be the priests representing uh, the people before God. But in Ezekiel 34, you you see God indicts these men who were called to be shepherds. And this is what he says. Ezekiel 34, beginning in verse 1, he says, "...the word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel." My sheep were scattered. They wandered over all the mountains and on every high hill. My sheep were scattered scattered over all the face of the earth with none to search or seek for them. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord as I live, declares the Lord God. Surely because my sheep have become a prey and my sheep have become food for all the wild beasts, since there was no shepherd and because my shepherds have not searched for my sheep, But the shepherds have fed themselves and have not fed my sheep. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against the shepherds, and I will require my sheep at their hand and put a stop to their feeding the sheep. No longer shall the shepherds feed themselves. I will rescue my sheep from their mouths, that they may not be food for them. In essence, what was happening in Israel is that the, the, the shepherds became wolves. And they began to, to consume the sheep. Rather than, than caring for the sheep, rather than, than caring for the people, they began to use the people for their own advantage. And what did God say about that? He says, oh, I'll handle that. I'm going to deal with that. And then a little bit later in this same chapter, God says, I'm going to be their shepherd. I will come and do what these faithless shepherds were not doing. I will come and care for my people. That is what God says. And God did come in the person of Christ. And that is the the perfect example of what a pastor, what a shepherd is called to look like and be like. And now as the chief shepherd, he has set up and established... Under-shepherds, yeah, elders in the church to care and feed and, and bind up and heal his people and to go after the strays and to bring them back. That is the, the task of the elders. We are called to be undershepherds. Again, we have a delegated authority, a responsibility, but no authority in and of ourselves and it is it's a sobering responsibility because uh, on the one hand we will face a a great judgment for this but on the other hand if you remember back in 1st Peter Peter said that what will the elders receive if they if we do this job and this task well he says we will receive an unfading crown of glory so, so there is a a a double judgment but also a a greater reward for faithfulness in this and god will judge all who are not faithful in this task and elders elders are called to be overseers and under shepherds and then thirdly if you turn with me back over to first timothy chapter three elders are called to be examples to the flock first timothy chapter three and that's when we will look at these qualifications this is what what paul says to timothy this is what would qualify a man to be an elder or to be an overseer. If you look at me, 1st Timothy chapter 3, beginning in verse 2, it says, Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, but violent, or not violent, not but violent, not violent. It's an important uh, clarification there. Not violent, but gentle. Not quarrelsome. Not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. That's a long list of qualifications there. But, but really what we can do is we can lump all of those qualifications into two categories. And the first one is that the elders are called to be above reproach. And the idea there is that, not that they are perfect, okay? Elders are not perfect. But it's that the idea that when an elder sins, he's going to handle that sin rightly before the Lord. He's going to repent. Now, there are some disqualifying sins for elders. But the idea of being above reproach is there is no chink in his armor that someone can pull him down by. Whether that someone is in his own household in the church or even outside of the church. What are, what are, how are elders to be viewed by people outside of the church? They're to be of good reputation so that nobody even outside of the church can speak ill of the leader in the church of God. And Paul even argues from, from lesser to greater. An elder is, is qualified partly by leading his own household well. Right? He says, hey, if you can't lead your household well, how are you going to lead the church of God? How is that going to happen? So this first broad category is that the elders are called to be above reproach. And the, and the second category, and we're going to circle back around to this, is that they, are, they need to be able to teach. And, and as we look at these qualifications, really these qualifications for an elder are commanded of all believers. Each one of these qualifications is a command somewhere else in the New Testament. So as we as we look at this, th- this is not a higher level of Christianity that the elders are called to. They are really just called to be faithful Christians. That they are called to be mature not just in their understanding of God's word, but in actually living it out. That they are called to be examples of a, what a mature and faithful disciple of Christ looked like. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, Paul says to the Corinthians, he says, "...be imitators of me as I am of Christ." So Paul says, hey, follow me as I follow Jesus. And do as I do as I follow our Lord and Savior. And that is what an elder is to be, one who is following Jesus and then calls others to imitate him as they follow Jesus." That is the call. There's a a pastor who wrote a book, a really helpful book, on uh, church elders named Jeremy Wren. And this is what he says. He says, God has called elders to be men worth imitating. Because a healthy church typically has many people, men and women, whose example we could follow. But when a church appoints a man to be an overseer, it is formally saying, here is an official church-recognized example of a mature follower of Jesus. Now, he is not the only example, not a perfect example, not necessarily the best example in that congregation of every single Christian virtue. But an elder is a duly designated model nonetheless. That is the idea that elders are called to be examples to the flock. It was a 19th century uh, Scottish preacher who died when he was 29, Robert Murray Mache. and he. I'm going to read this quote, and this this quote is is heavy, and it, and it pierces my own soul and and challenges me. But this is this is what he said. As a, as a pastor, as a preacher, he says, The greatest need of my people is my own holiness. If I could argue with him a little bit, I, I would agree in, in one sense, but I would also say I think our, our, your greatest need is first and foremost you, the, your forgiveness of your sins. A reconciliation with the Holy God as you trust not in yourselves, but in Christ. But I do think that maybe your second greatest need is is for you to have an example to follow in following Christ. And the elders of the church are called to be that example. That example of Christian maturity is of the utmost importance in that, that same pastor that i quoted jeremy rins also says this he says to put it another way an elder's job involves shepherding by being as well as by doing And elders pastor churches not only by what they do but also by who they are and without the being the doing falls apart And that was really impactful to me in my own study this week. That's a high calling for me to be an example to you. But I would also say this, it's a high calling for all of us. Because if it's true for me as a pastor, it's also true of you as mothers and fathers and sisters and brothers and coworkers and neighbors and distant family members and grandparents and whatever it is that you want to fill in the blank parents what is it that your kids need the most from you your holiness that they need an example to follow and just in this whole realm of if you look at the christian faith we don't save anybody That's outside of our power. We've looked at that and talked about that in the past. And the amazing thing, we can't save anybody, but we can be a stumbling block. It's hard to accept at times, right? we, We can't save, but we can be a reason for stumbling. And that's where we need to see our own pursuit of holiness, which we looked at a couple weeks ago. It's being so important. And if you, if you look over just in, we're in 1 Timothy 3, if you just look over to, to chapter 4, you see what Paul says to this young pastor. Verse 12, Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. He says to this young pastor, You be the example. And then look at chapter 4, verse 15. He says, practice these things, immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. And then verse 16, keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching and persist in this for by so doing you will save both yourself and your hearers. And okay, this reality that we can easily be a stumbling block. And I've had some, some hard conversations with with others who have been at churches where a pastor or an elder has fallen into grievous sin and what a tremendous stumbling block that is and how it rocks the church in so many different ways and it shakes people's faith and that's where this calling that that pastors that elders are called to be examples to the flock. And indeed, again, the same lines. Parents, you're called to be examples to your children. We are called to all be examples of Christlikeness to others. This is a serious calling. And again, the, the, the overarching qualification for an elder is, are you pursuing Christ? Are are you mature? Are you faithful? There's nothing that anybody can tear you down with in any accusation. And we may not all aspire to be elders, but we should all aspire to be examples of Christian maturity. Every one of us should aspire to these qualifications, because again, all of these qualifications are elsewhere commands in the New Testament. And while elders are called to be... Overseers and under shepherds and examples they are fourthly also called to be guardians of the truth. If you turn with me over to a, a parallel passage, just a couple pages to the right in your Bible to, to Titus chapter one, the elders are called to be guardians of the truth. When, we saw the the qualifications of an elder in first Timothy, I said so they, they fall into two broad categories that elders are called to be above reproach and then secondly they are supposed to be able to teach uh, and when when the apostle Paul speaks of that able to teach it 's first and foremost able to teach and proclaim the gospel uh, the, the gospel in scripture that All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That we have all rebelled against our our holy creator. Even as Vincent preached last week, right? That we are all, none of us choose to follow God. But the gospel is that God has saved us. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And now we are all called to look to Christ in faith. And all who look to Christ in faith will be rescued, reconciled, and redeemed. They will be now at peace with God and able to live for God, something that they were never able to do in the past. That is the message of the gospel that every elder needs to be able to proclaim and then live out. But this passage in in Titus chapter 1 adds some some greater clarity to that second criteria of able to teach. If you look with me at Titus chapter 1 verse 9, Paul says this, in in writing to another young pastor on the island of Crete, he says this, speaking of elder qualifications, he must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to, number one, give instruction in sound doctrine, and number two, also to rebuke those who contradict it additional clarification on what it means to be able to teach, that you are able to teach the truth and you are able to identify and address false teaching in the church. And in this way, the elders are guardians of the biblical truth. And this is a hard task. I love what Charles Spurgeon says about this. He says, discernment is not a matter of simply telling the difference between right and wrong. Rather, it is telling the difference between right and almost right. Another theologian, John Murray, says the difference between truth and error is not a chasm, but a razor's edge. And elders are called to be so familiar with the truth of Scripture, so familiar with uh, Christian doctrine and theology and the, the Bible that, that we are able to to hear teaching and say, "Wow, well, that's, that's off like two degrees. Like we can affirm this, but that's just, it's off just enough. And as I always say, if you're leaving Los Angeles for Hawaii and your plane is off two degrees, that's a really big problem, Right? And it may not seem that way initially, but you're going to miss Hawaii if you're two degrees off. And so those one or two degrees when it comes to Christian doctrine are so important. And elders are called to be the ones to to safeguard the church against that one or two degree drift. Because if you're off one degree now, five years from now, it's going to be a very serious, serious problem. And elders are, are the ones who are called to safeguard the truth of the church from error and there to safeguard the church against false teaching. And and you know what the apostles promised that there would be false teachers and false teaching in the church. 2 Peter chapter 2 verse 1. Peter says this, but false prophets also arose among the people speaking about the Old Testament. And then he says this, so false prophets in the Old Testament arose and he says, just as there will also be false teachers among you. And Paul says this in his last words to the Ephesian elders, Acts, Acts chapter 20. Paul comes and it's a, just this amazing goodbye. Paul had been in the church at Ephesus for more than two years ministering there. And then he continued on his journey. And then he returned and he was going to Jerusalem where he thought he was going to be put to death. And so his goodbye to the Ephesian elders, it was this heartfelt uh, reunion. And they, and they, at the end of it, they, they cry and they pray together on the beach. And then he gets on the boat and he goes back to Jerusalem. But this is what he says to them. These heartfelt messages to these elders that he has loved and ministered alongside for years. This is what he says. Acts chapter 20, verse 28 through 30. Things to draw away the disciples after them. Paul says that to men that he's discipled to he "Hey, watch out because there may be wolves that rise up from among you." It's a sobering thought. And again, all of the, this whole metaphor of shepherding that Paul uses here, and that we see over and over again in Scripture for pastoral ministry, it's it's so appropriate because. Yes, there is a significant amount of time that a pastor spends caring for the sheep, but there's also times when the pastor has to defend the sheep. When David was a shepherd boy, there were times when he had to fight off a lion or a bear, uh, and, and he said, the Lord strengthened me in those moments. That's why he wasn't afraid to go and fight Goliath. But there are times when shepherds need to defend the flock. This is a requirement of elders. And sometimes that bear or lion or wolf, that predator, sometimes it comes from outside of the church and tries to to creep in. And other times that predator's been here for a while. And the the elders, as the shepherds, are the ones who are called to address that and to say, this sheepy is not a sheepy. This sheepy is a wolf, and he needs to be addressed. But in defending the sheep... Pastors are not called to get into fist fights with false teachers. I don't say a false teacher, "Hey, meet me at dawn in this field over here. And you know, we're going to we're going to duke it out." That, that's not how that's handled. And realistically, we don't even fight against people. We fight against ideas. It's ideas, ideologies, philosophies that take the church captive. That's Paul's warning to the church in Colossians chapter 2 verse 8. See to it that no one takes you captive by empty philosophy and deceit that is not according to Christ. What the elders are called to do is to address any idea that is held up against the knowledge of God. Listen to 2 Corinthians chapter 10 verses 4 and 5. Paul says, for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. And we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. Elders are called to to wield the sword of truth against the false ideologies and philosophies that attempt to creep into the church. And there are many that have tried to creep in in the past and there are many that are trying to creep in right now. And the elders are the ones who are the guardians of the truth. And, and so as we see this reality, say so first and foremost, understand that there is a, a a battle raging of thoughts and ideas. Secondly, we we look to God's word for wisdom and understanding and how to interpret the world around us because God's word is inspired and it is inerrant and it is completely sufficient to destroy every lie of Satan. And then thirdly, I encourage this, look to the, the elders, look to those who are spiritually mature in the church to help you navigate life and to understand the world around us. And I can hear your thoughts. Some of you might be saying, but Thomas, you're young. I'm younger than I seem. It's just the It uh, makes me look older. And yes, I am young. I, I would acknowledge that. But I, I love what, uh, what Al Mohler said. Al Mohler became the president of a very large seminary, Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, when he was 33. And I'm older than that right now. But uh, somebody, somebody asked him at a Q&A, how were you going to shepherd professors who are older and wiser than you. And I love his response. He says, I intend to age. Uh, and so th- that, that's my plan as well. I, I plan to get older uh, and, and wiser along the way. But, but also this, I, I am young, and so I'm not going to speak out of my own extensive personal experience, but while I am young, I can tell you what God's Word says. And that's really what you need to hear. You don't need to to hear from my own experience with whatever it may be. You don't need to hear that because my experience is not the basis for what is true and my experience is not the basis for what is wise. So I may not have been in your situation, but I should be able to know what God's word says about your situation. And that's what I am called to do. That's what every elder is called to do. If you only went to an elder who had been in the exact situation as you, it'd, it'd be, you'd be hard-pressed to find that. But that is what you need most, is, is an elder who teaches from God's Word and who will point you to the truth of Scripture. And elders are called to be overseers and under shepherds and examples and guardians of the truth. And, and finally, this last one that we have for the elders... That Elders are to be men of prayer. I worded it this way. Elders are interceders on behalf of the people. And, and turn with me over to Acts chapter 6. In Acts chapter 6, you see the, the apostles understanding their role in the church. What they were called to do. There was some some issues in the church, which we'll circle back around to when we talk about the deacons in a couple minutes, but we'll draw your attention to Acts chapter 6, verse 4. The apostles say this, But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. That is what the apostles devoted themselves to, and that is what elders are called to devote themselves to. To be men of prayer, and this is a recurring theme in the life of Christ. You want to be deeply convicted about your own prayer life. Uh, Jesus would go and, and wake up early early in the morning and go pray the, the night before he he chose the twelve disciples he spent the whole night in prayer. This is a theme in the life of christ it's a theme in the lives of the apostles, and it's a command. In the New Testament, that's repeated over and over again. Colossians 4, verse 2 says, Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. 1 Thessalonians five, 17, it's a great memory verse. Pray without ceasing. Right, you guys all memorize that right now. Uh, pray without ceasing. Jesus in Luke 18, verse 1, And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. So the, the elders of the church are called to be interceders for the people. We're called to be in prayer for you. And an elder must be a man who's willing to wrestle in prayer for the people of God that have been entrusted to his care. One of the Puritans say, say this, that we must, we must not only pray for ourselves, speaking of pastors, but we must often pray on behalf of all our hearers. And prayer must carry on our work as well as our preaching. And he preaches not heartily to his people who will not often pray for them. And here's what I need to confess to you guys. I need to continue to grow in this area of praying for you. And I want to know how I can actually tangibly be praying for you on a regular basis. I mentioned we have the new and updated website. One of the things that's on there, but it's not working correctly just yet, uh, is a prayer request module. So I'll say, in the future, you can go there, and I'll get the prayer request. But I tested it last night, and it's not working. So this week, would you, would you guys send me how just a list of how, how can I be praying for you? How can I be praying for your family? Uh, and, and how can I be lifting you up on a regular basis? Uh, I need to grow in this area. And this is a, a deeply convicting message for me uh, and all of these things that an elder is supposed to to do and, and to be. But as elders, Bruce and I are, are called to to be praying for you on a regular basis. And so please let us know how we can be doing that on a regular basis and, and then please be praying for us uh, on that same way so as we've we've looked at elders now there's really five big roles uh, for them they are overseers under shepherds examples guardians uh, and they are to be interceders And we, we I don't want to transition over to to deacons and I had to kind of shorten my outline because I had too many points so the deacons kind of got rolled up into to one big point but deacons could could be a whole message in and of themselves and I would summarize that the deacons roles in this way, that that deacons are assistants to the elders. They are, in essence, the, the the lead servants to the flock. But their chief goal is to assist the elders, and we see this in this passage that we're already in in, in Acts chapter six. And there was there was conflict in the church. If you if you look with me at verse one in chapter six. whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. And they sat before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And so there was a time in the early church where the apostles were serving tables. They were waiting on people, but then they realized, wait a second, this is a good thing, but in doing this, we're not able to focus on prayer and the ministry of the word, which is the the first calling of the elders. So they said, hey, we need to appoint other faithful men who can focus on this task so that we can keep the main thing the main thing. And so the, the office of deacon was instituted here. And really, the term deacon just means servant. The, the idea of, a, of a, a waiter serving tables. And, and so we see that deacons come into the church here. And what's remarkable also is that one of these seven deacons becomes a false teacher. Nicholas, uh, the, the proselyte of Antioch, Reinhardt goes his own way, and he's condemned in uh, Revelation, and the sect of the the Nicolaitans. So you see false teaching is ever a danger within the church. But if you turn with me back over to to 1 Timothy chapter 3, we're kind of running out of time, so we won't read through all of the qualifications of a deacon, but I would encourage you to go this week and look at verses 8 through 13 of 1 Timothy 3. And as you see, the qualifications for the deacons, they're very similar to the qualifications of an elder. And that the deacon is just really called to be an example of Christian maturity. The only qualification that isn't present is that deacon doesn't have to be able to teach. And the reason that's not a requirement is because the deacons are primarily called to serve the church body concerning the physical needs of the church. And the elders, that frees the elders up to focus upon the spiritual needs in the church. Uh, and, and this is how uh, th- there's a, a blending and a, and a focus within the church and among the, the leaders, uh, and it enables the, the flock to be cared for spiritually and physically, by by allowing that that focus. And so you can say that the deacons are not assistant elders, but they are assistants to the elders. Uh, the deacons focus upon one thing and allow the the, the elders to focus upon something else. So uh, the the uh, the service uh, to the church, I love uh, at our sending church, we had an an elder who whenever we'd be in an an elder meeting and something would come up, something needs to happen. Uh, And it was something that the 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 elders could could delegate to the deacons. I love what he said. He said, let the deacons deke, Uh, let let them do their thing. Let let them serve uh, as they are called to. And in doing that, it would free up the elders because it's really easy for the elders of the church to get bogged down in all of the, the, the physical needs, uh, all the physical things of the church, because those are always pressing. But again, the, the main thing that the elders are called to is the, the, the defense of the church, the, the guardians, the, the examples to the flock, and being able to feed the flock spiritually. So we have to let the deacons deek. And again, this is this is by no means saying that the deacons are second-class citizens, or that they don't need to know the word. Because again, if you notice, uh, Stephen was among those deacons, uh, and he was a pretty good preacher. Uh, and his preaching actually cost him his life, because he was pretty bold, uh, condemning the very men who put Christ to death. Uh, and so we see that, that deacons are also called to be examples, but they are assistants to the elders. They they are the that those are the, the lead servants in the church. It's a different gifting and a different calling, but both are important to the life of the church. So what do we what do we do with all this? We've seen these, these six roles, that elders are to be overseers of the church, under shepherds of Christ, examples to the flock, guardians of the truth, interceders for the people, and that deacons are called to be assistants to the elders. Now, we'd be over... Looking at all of these things again, we see that that character is far more important than than the outward appearance, uh, and, and we don't just look at a guy like, hey, he'll ma- he'll make a good elder. Uh, and w- one one author, Malcolm Gladwell, calls this just assigning leadership ability by looking at someone's external appearance. He calls this the the Warren Harding error, and, and what he's speaking of is that the twenty ninth president of the United States a man by Warren Harding. And, and Gladwell says this, he says, Warren Harding was not a particularly intelligent man. He liked to play poker and golf and to drink. And most of all to chase women. He, he was vague and ambivalent on matters of policy. And his speeches were once described. I love this. His speeches were once described as an army of pompous phrases moving over the landscape in search of an idea. Uh, and, Yet this unremarkable politician was elected by an unprecedented 60% vote, landslide victory. And and this author's hypothesis that he calls it the Warren Harding era was that, that Harding was not chosen based upon competence or training or qualification or experience, but merely because he looked like he would be a good leader. One author described... Harding in this way. He says that he was an attractive man. He had these big black eyebrows that contrasted with his steel gray hair. and gave the effect of, of force And his massive shoulders and his bronzed complexion gave the effect of health. And apparently he, Harding managed to inspire adequate public confidence with his, with his exterior characteristics. But historians would deem him to be one of the absolute worst presidents in U.S. history because his administration was racked with scandals and incompetence and inefficiency and that's the the danger of merely looking and saying hey this person would be a good leader let's make that guy our spiritual leader and that's not how the church is to be run and i know many of you have have come and, and asked right now uh bruce and i are the the two elders uh in the church right now, and we are working to to train up and identify other elders. Tomorrow night we have our lay elder discipleship. We're meeting with a group of guys and uh, putting them through the torture uh, rack and teaching them theology and quizzing them on theology. They have papers to write, so they'll be. I know what they'll be doing this afternoon, and uh, in, in getting those papers uh, to me. Uh, but the idea is we. I can't wait to have other elders here. Believe me, but I'm also we're we're not going to be in a hurry in that process. Uh, and, and so we're, we're working towards having that plurality of elders. Uh, and uh, what I would ask of you, kind of in response to this message, of, of would you pray that the Lord would raise up other faithful men to be elders, other faithful men to be deacons uh, in our church? We we long to have a plurality of, of leaders who are following Christ, who are that examples of maturity. And again, I would also pray that that you all uh, would aspire towards that end as well. Uh, That you would all aspire to be examples of maturity in the Christian faith. And that is what uh, your family needs from you most. That is what others around you need from you most. They need to see you following Christ. And then you'll be able to say, follow me as I follow Jesus. And that's our big need. But would you pray with me for that? And again, please email me this week and let me know how I can be praying for you.